Good morning, church. Mitch, can you hear me in the back? Always good. It's uh, kind of bittersweet. Um, Bud was normally my, my yardstick for if I was loud enough. So you knew you were loud enough if, if Bud could hear you in the back. So I feel like I'm getting a little bit older this morning. I got out of the car this morning and I realized that I forgot my glasses. Um, but fortunately, I took a page out of Doug Budman's book and have started increasing the font of my sermons as I print them out. Um, so at least I can read them from up here. And the other thing is, as I finished the sermon, I was talking with my wife, and she asked me what the title of the sermon was, and I said, am I my brother's keeper? And she said, again? Um, I'm like, I don't remember doing that one. But It's not the same sermon. If, if I did, uh, it's a different sermon. So. Uh, it used to be that every three-day weekend in our house, at some point in time during the weekend, our phone would ring. And so we start to have a little bit of dread for three-day weekends because we knew something was going to happen. And then finally we moved past that, so three-day weekends calmed down, and then we went into a phase where if our phone rang after 10 o'clock at night, nothing good was, was going on on the other end of that phone call. It was typically my mom, something going wrong medically, and we spent a lot of long nights at hospitals, and, and my lovely wife took a lot of those long nights at hospitals. Occasionally we traded off with, between my mom and my dad having to spend all night uh, in emergency rooms. But now we have a new, a new challenge in our lives now that my parents have, have passed. And we've got a caller ID that says who it is on the other end of the phone. And uh, now when I hear the name Sean Costello on our phone, I know something's up. So when my brother calls, he doesn't call normally to say, you know, hey, how's it going, or, you know, something good has happened. It's normally a challenge. He needs help. I don't know about you, I don't get a whole lot of phone calls that say, hey, it's Publishers Clearinghouse and you've won. Or you've, you know, long lost Uncle Charlie has passed away and he had a fortune that you've now inherited. I don't get those phone calls. And a few weeks back on a Saturday night at 9.30, the phone starts ringing and the caller ID says, it's my brother. And of course, I say to myself, self, because that's what I call myself, this can't be good. And sure enough, it wasn't. He had broken down on the side of the road. Fortunately, it wasn't far from the house. But his car totally stopped working. So I get in my car and I go out there to see what I can do and, you know, give him a ride and I talked to him and look at his car and you would have thought a grenade went off underneath his hood. And so I asked him, I said, well, do you have roadside assistance with your insurance? And he said, what's roadside assistance? Fortunately, he did, and they towed his car. And that got taken care of. But I know my brother and I know that he doesn't have a whole lot of money. 
So I found myself asking a question. And to set the stage for what question I asked myself, I'd like to read from Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, beginning in the first verse, we hear the story about Adam and Eve. And Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought forth an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If what you do is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, your sin or sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And of course, we know what Cain said. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And boy, those words were in the back of my head. And if I ask myself as I'm helping or looking at my brother overcoming his issue, I find myself asking, am I my brother's keeper? And that, brothers and sisters, is both the title of this morning's lesson and a question that I leave out there. But for now, let's hold off on the answer to that question. Let's take a, look, a closer look at what Cain is asking and what we should be asking ourselves. And I want to focus on two words in that question. The first word I want us to focus on is brother. And there's lots of examples of brothers in the Old Testament, starting with Cain and Abel. Then you look at Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And you move, you have Noah, or Abraham's, or uh, Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob. You have Joseph and, and his brothers. In the New Testament, we have Andrew and Peter and the sons of thunder, John and James. And you can see both good and bad behavior in the Old Testament of these brothers. Right? We know what Cain did to Abel, and Jacob took Esau's birthright and his blessing. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. But we also know that Joseph saved his family. In the New Testament, Andrew found Jesus and immediately went out and found his brother. And then we have the example of James and John arguing over who should be at the place of honor with Christ. Now, if you're sitting there and you think, well, wait a minute, I don't have a brother, so I'm off the hook. Well, that's not quite true. If you look at the Hebrew word that's used for brother, it can have many different meanings. It can mean having the same parents. It can mean having the same father. It can mean being members of the same tribe or just having kinship. So really, the relationship is not just of a brother, but being part of the same family. And what family are we part of? 
And I would argue, our earthly family is important, but we also are a family in Christ. And Christ warns us about our earthly family. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 51, Christ is telling his disciples, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Sometimes to follow after Christ, your family on earth will be divided. But how do we know that we're part of another family? What do we have to hang on to that we are part of a spiritual family? If you go over to Galatians chapter 4, there's a huge hope that Paul writes about. Beginning in verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, again, that family, not just son, being male prodigy, but family, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And you have to think about the cultural context here. Back in the time that Paul's writing this, only the firstborn son really was considered the heir. And he received almost all the inheritance. And what Paul is telling us here and in other places of the scriptures are saying, each one of us, each one of us are heirs. And that's very important. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a moment. And the plan was always there for us to receive. But until we're old enough to understand that we're slaves to sin and be baptized for the remission of that sin and become Christians to receive sonship and to become heirs, we're not there yet. But we are all heirs and all equal in the share of the glory of redemption. There are no second-class citizens, no second or third sons. We are all important and all equal in the eyes of the Lord. And Paul tells us, if you go back a chapter to Galatians chapter 3, in verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The bottom line is, church, we are all one tribe. We are all one family. So we are all part of that one family, the one tribe, one kinship. The second word I'd like to look at is in the, in the phrase or the question about my brother's keeper is the word keeper. And here the Hebrew word means to guard or to protect or to save life. And since in the first part of the lesson we established that we're one family in Christ, we're all equal in his eyes, the next question is, how should we treat each other? Should we keep each other? Should we guard and protect and save each other's lives? And Caleb read for us this morning from Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Jesus is talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answer, Jesus, is hear this, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And of course, the disciples wanting a little bit more clarity, ask them, well, Lord, who is my neighbor? And he goes on to tell them the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then asks them, well, who is a man, who is a neighbor to the man that was robbed? And they say the one who had mercy on him who was robbed is the man's neighbor. And Jesus tells them to go and do likewise. And it's very interesting that Jesus uses a Samaritan as an example to them. For the Jews, Samaritans were to be avoided. Samaritans were a group that worshipped differently than the Jews. They were not part of the chosen people. Jews would absolutely not associate with them. And for Jesus to take a Samaritan as an example of who should be their neighbor and to tell them and go and do likewise is a very, very strong message for them and had to be a great shock to the disciples. He's telling them, stop treating the Samaritans like you've been treating them and instead act like the one I've given you as an example. In this case... That Samaritan was the man's keeper. He saved his life. He saved his physical life. But I want us to expand the view of being a keeper to the spiritual life as well. And who are we to save? In Luke chapter 15... Beginning in the first verse. And this is a long passage, so I bear the 
pray that you'll bear with me. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then he goes on again. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. If Christ found it so important to tell a parable that basically had the same message twice in a row, is he not trying to hammer that point home to us as well? That he desires all to be saved? And who is it that he says should go out and save these lives? Who is meant to be these people's keepers? And I think we all know this passage at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're challenged to go out and make disciples of all the world, to go and to save spiritual lives. So now we're back to the question asked at the beginning of the sermon. Am I my brother's keeper? We've looked at the word brother, and it means more than just the same male person with the same parents. It means your family. It's not just the, the one that calls me on the phone, the one that I shared a room with back in the 70s. It means all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And a keeper, to be a keeper of someone, means to save them. Save their life. To guard them, to protect them. I'd like to look at one more passage and then the lesson will be yours. In Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, sorry. Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on the left, apartment from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So the sermon really has two versions. There's the long version and the short version. I chose the long version this morning. The short version is, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, absolutely. Yes, I am. Now that doesn't mean that you do everything for your brother. That doesn't mean that they have no responsibility. But clearly our responsibility, according to the scripture, is to guard and to protect and to save their life. And so I leave you this week to look inside about how you can be your brother's keeper. If you have a need, we're about to sing a song of thanksgiving. If you have a need, come forward as we stand and sing.